0: The following episode of the 9pm Edict contains strong language, dead animals, disappointment, politics and electricity.
1: Saturday, the 13th of August 2022, the winter series continues with special guest Justin Warren. He's been on before, he understands technology, he understands hexagons, he notices cheese. In this episode, apart from... A lot of cynicism we explain why your planning has to cover all possibilities what happens if
0: dave comes in on tuesday and decides to be evil we discuss the nature of computer software software is terrible um and software that
1: involves any times and dates is just worse And of course, we simply have to talk about this, the demise, finally, of Australia's COVID-safe app. They really didn't want this
0: this quite privacy-preserving thing that Google and Apple wanted to do. It didn't fit with the way that
1: they thought about the world. Hello, I'm Stilgerian. This is the 9pm COVID-safe global warming happy times with Justin Warren. Justin Warren, welcome once more to the Edict. It is a pleasure to be here as always. Thank you, still. And I think uh, it's also a pleasure this week to celebrate um, something special in the history of technology in Australia. Indeed. COVID Safe, the app. Now, for those of you who need reminding, let's roll back uh, to April 2020 uh, and this television commercial to keep us all safe and to help our health workers. It's vital to know quickly if you've come in contact with someone who has tested positive for coronavirus. It's why we've introduced the COVID Safe app. With your privacy protected by law, COVIDSafe keeps a secure note of other users you've been near if you have to go out. So, if they test positive for coronavirus, you'll be notified. It'll help us stop the spread sooner so we can get back to the things we love. Download COVIDSafe today. Authorised by the Chief Medical Officer, Canberra. And 28 months later, it's been switched off. Finally. It's good to turn things off. We will come back to that exact point very shortly. But it's been an amazing journey. Um, this this is part of a news report from Nine News uh, about six months after the app was launched in, on the 27th of October 2020. We were urged to download as the coronavirus pandemic took hold. But now it's been revealed selling the COVID safe app has cost nearly $7 million in two months. Labor says the app is a failure after it picked up just 17 contacts. Sold with plenty of promise. Download the app. That is Australia's ticket. Our screens were bombarded so we can get back to the things we love ads with a hefty price tag the cost
2: of the covid safe app specific advertising in 2019
1: 20 was 6.95 million. The Safe app was launched at the end of April, so that's almost $7 million over just two months. Add to that $5 million to develop it and improve it. It's a price tag of almost $12 million. And how many contacts has it helped identify? 17. 7 million Australians have downloaded the app and registered, but the federal government has no way of knowing how many users have it active Right now. I've seen better value land deals in Badgerys Creek Airport than these contact tracing apps. And there aren't any plans to switch it off. Uh, near the end of that report, uh, that was Labor's Chris Bowen with the snarky comment about Badgerys Creek real estate. And I should mention, I did edit that report a bit to take out... Oh, I mean, just some of it. We're, we're over it. But the figure being kicked around this week, Justin, mm. is over $20 million mm. for the project. I think. I think we need to say... That does include all the TV advertising, uh, which would have happened in some form anyway. Whatever the federal dev- government did, they would have spent some money advertising what the strategy was and what the health message was. Yes,
0: well, they would have. They just sort of put all their eggs in one basket, and the basket was called COVID Safe
1: App. Um, yes, and yeah. um, the development there, you probably, probably five mil up front, there was $100,000 a month for the back-end hosting. Well, I think
0: it was nine. I think I read through some stuff where, wasn't it the DTA, hand, when they handed it off to Health because they had a bunch Which of help. Which was a year later. But they had a bunch of help with consultants and a whole lot of stuff and I thought they spent about nine on it.
1: It did add up. There was, there was um, a, a number of... You know, bug fixes and normal routine upgrades along the way, mm. but bundled into that was also the hosting cost, which uh, was at Amazon Web Services originally at a hundred thousand dollars a month. Although Senate estimates was told that they'd managed to get that down to about seventy five thousand yeah. dollars. That and they may they were be down aiming to for 60. sixty. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if they ever got there,
0: but still, that's that's like ten months to burn a million. You know, where's the other eight go? Um, And look, on on some of that, okay, you spend a bunch of money. That's like a dot. If we're talking about the number of downloads, I think they eventually got to seven. I don't know how many of those are duplicates, but that's about, Mm. what, a dollar and a bit, dollar and some change cost of customer acquisition. Um, You know, that's not too bad. It shows that if you want people to download an app, spend, you know, burn money on TV ads, it works.
1: Well... (laughs) That's that's true, and and I will say I haven't got the figures in front of me. I'll stick them in during the housekeeping. But it's it's comparable to what Germany spent or Ireland spent on a per capita basis. Yeah, people are not very good at multiplying the cost of something by twenty six million because there's twenty six million of us. No, they're not. They, they, yeah, I, I
0: I mean I do most of my work consulting with the US, so you know it's order of magnitude different. So I'm I'm a lot more used to going. Yeah, when you say large, explain yeah. large to me, um, <laughs> because here in Australia it's like oh that's large. It's Like no, you're not. You're an SME. I'll
1: I'll run that whole <laughs> thing on my iPad, <laughs> and that will be just fine. But this is this is sounding dangerously like we support the project. Uh well. Yeah, no. And um, and I, I no. I've had trouble with this on on Twitter the other night too. It's it's No, no, no. I'm just saying that we should not be afraid of figures in a few million hand waving as you can see mm. um in and of itself. That is not unreasonable for a national project. Yeah, there's look, there's plenty of stuff we can criticize
0: about it. Without having to worry about stuff that doesn't really matter. I mean, look, the AWS spend. I am concerned about that. Amazon it's web like, services. How did how did you manage to spend hundred k a month in AWS on what is a glorified database? Like, there's not that many moving parts to this thing. You know, people who people who are expert in this build big and important systems. Like, yeah, it needs to stay online and needs you know it's it's got a bunch of compliance and it's you know it's a government thing. But it's not that messy. So I really want to know, how did you manage to spend 100K? And then when you brought it back down to aiming for 60, why, why was it so much higher to begin with? Because it's like, okay, you were doing an experiment and then you changed your mind and adjusted things, fine. But mm-hmm. you were really cagey about why, what needed adjusting and, and how it worked, particularly when we don't have much evidence for how many people were actively using the app.
1: Like, you download it, fine, but no one was using it. Yes, what level of pings per second is this big effing back-end getting? Yeah. But at the same time, I just realised you're only uploading someone's data.
0: If, if, they, if they do a ping, it's like, yeah, okay, you're a case. That you
1: only do that search at that moment.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of the and it's they were only- pre-done a lot of it. And then it's actually not a big like it's not a big data set. And we, like you can do this on a laptop in R for a lot of it. Like it's and the people who are doing this, like the contact tracers and so on, and epidemiologists, these are huge maths heads. Like they can drive R and make it sing and dance. They know how to drive statistical programs
1: well that that's assuming for the moment that these these uh, programs were written by people who are familiar with writing this sort of software in search because one the one thing i learnt while doing it is that you can blow out your mm. performance in, in incredibly bad ways through tiny little changes in the software. And naive implementations, yes,
0: which is yeah. potentially one of the concerns. But, I mean, again, it would be helpful to understand the architecture and the design of how this worked because my understanding is that they actually just grabbed the exposure data that they filtered, like who, was, who were the people that were potentially within the realm of stuff within this contact interval. But they handed that off to the health agencies, and that was one of the reasons, like one of the flaws in the design was we don't want to use... Google and Apple's exposure notification thing because that has too much privacy. We want to have all of this quite granular detail on who the people are so that we can hand it to the health agencies, the state-based health health groups, because that's how they approach this sort of thing. They really didn't want this this quite privacy-preserving thing that Google and Apple wanted to do. It didn't fit with the way that they thought about the world.
1: It's quite complicated this and, and I had a, a chat last night with a source in Canberra who is a developer and was for reasons, for because reasons was across what was going on within mm. DTA uh, before that. So their view was that the people empowered to make decisions never really decided how the app should work in the first place but um, uh, took over what they were given. So someone somewhere, and it seems to be in home affairs, for some reason, of course, got it is atlassian to look at what was happening in the Singapore system, and I sh- we should say the whole idea with this was that the app would run on your phone. Uh, it would use Bluetooth low power to notice when anyone else nearby was running the same app. If that yeah. contact lasted more than fifteen minutes, we will record that fact. It mm. was not, as people thought, recording your location it was just recording that phone a and phone b happened to be within range for more than 15 minutes and that fact was recorded not where they were although obviously well, if we you knew where one that of them was because
0: apps often ask for i th- i think one of the concerns was uh, the way, the permissions structuring i think it was on, on android yes to ask for bluetooth for that particular bluetooth access it's all bundled into one particular access permission which includes location so yes. it will show you on the notification, say, hey, do you give permission to say, yes, I can do that? Android didn't say, yes, you can have the Bluetooth bit, but no, you can't have access to the GPS location. Um, because
1: Android doesn't allow you to do that. Or it didn't in that version or something, well, yeah. I- exactly. Yeah. And and people quite rightly should ask questions when they yeah. see that, and that's where you get the whole, hey, show us the source code, yes. and in this case, they did, and we looked at the source code, and you could see well, well... They did yeah, eventually... It Eventually, was, we it was like pulling teeth, and we didn't see the source code for the back end, which is where correct. you know other magic can happen and it and it was a
0: feed of the source code. It wasn't actually the working source code. so all of the things like the comments and feedback and pull requests and all of that sort of stuff wasn't actually there. It was very much a we we'll, we'll we'll just drop it up there and then, will kind of ignore any comments that you make unless you scream loudly enough about all of the bugs that we've got in it, (laughs) which we did, and then they eventually got around to fixing many of them.
1: Yeah. Um, For some reason, as I say, this started in Home Affairs, then DTA, the Digital Transformation Authority, for Mm. fuck's sake, took it over. Okay, and they just kept going with what they had. So I understand there's inertia and no-one wants to say, Oh, there's a better system than the one we started with, mm. um, for whatever reason, for political reasons, for internal management, kind of ego reasons, whatever. That that part we don't know the why, but the, happily, this is
0: um, dealing with technology, which famously doesn't change very quickly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> The weird thing is, though, is that Apple and Google had in fact developed their notification system as mm. a, a a joint venture between two notoriously competitive organisations, specifically because they realised that what... This system proposed to do would not work, and they told the Singaporean government, and they told the Australian government, and my contact confirmed. Yeah, and and I think we know it, this from yes. public sources anyway. Yes, they we know they were told it wouldn't work, and yet they continued anyway. And two years later, more than two years later, it took a new government coming in to say, "Yeah, let's let's just stop pissing away." Hundred grand a month, and I will say as well, some of that cost within the twenty million, within the half of the twenty million, which is for the developers and blah blah blah, mm. whatever. Um, when you actually look at the amount of money that was spent on modifications, it works out that if that was even with contractors or or expensive in house sources, it's like four full time developers. But if you look at the change log. There's there's not four full time developers worth of work, yeah. In what we're looking at there, far well, from it. There's a lot of consultants
0: who need to you know strategize, so that's important.
1: Yes, I need to say Susan and Brian, you have got to do another couple of work, couple of days work on this next week. Are you available?
0: Oh, that's a project These manager. Branches, no, no, no. There. That's that's another that's another head headcount we've got to have. That's half an FTE yeah. right there.
1: <laughs> I've played this game before. You, you have. Um, what else did I want to say about it? I, I did want to say that, yes, the whole thing of detecting stuff within Bluetooth range, there, there was a, a, a... Uni of Queensland School of Public Health did an analysis of did this, did this assist with the contact tracing and public health aspects in any way? Uh, short answer, no. Quote... COVID Safe did not make a meaningful contribution to the COVID response uh, in New South Wales specifically because Victoria didn't bother using this data because it was no u- no, of no real use. Yeah. And also, instead, the app created a high workload for no clear benefit uh, because some of the things it said, oh, maybe this is a contact, maybe this is a contact. Generally, the, the actual human contractor's uh, contact tracers would say, Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know about that one. Yeah, we know about that one. We already know about that one just by asking people mm. where they were. Um, and of course, Bluetooth goes through walls. So neighbors in adjoining apartments would be listed as, My God, they've been within five meters of us, of each other for hours. Yes. Go, yeah, but there's a wall in between. Or the one I liked in this was, People waiting in separate cars in the queue to get COVID tested, Mm. of course. (laughs) But no, they're safely sealed up in their cars. they are not going to.
0: Yes, yes. And all of this was pointed out as well. This is not. I think that's one of the frustrating things is that a lot of experts in this, um, including myself, we tried to help the government. Like we, we tried to help you to Mm. make a good go of this, Um, but we were broadly you know, pilloried for worrying about privacy, which apparently we shouldn't have bothered with, um, you know, we were called un-Australian. It was quite nasty things were said about the time. I'm still a little bit salty about that. But um, mostly because, look, we're trying to help you not fuck this up again. We want you to be good at this. You know, we I, I think technology is good and useful. It can be, but it's, mm. it can also be harmful. So, you know, do it right. We, we want you to be good at this. We, in fact, we deserve and, and should have a government who, we, who can computer well, but we keep not getting that. We keep getting a, a government that refuses to computer or to learn how to computer, and it doesn't learn from its mistakes.
1: Well, you're in Melbourne. I'm, I'm in New South Wales where mm. we, we, in fact, do have a government that knows how to computer Yes, your, your
0: um, state government has been doing a reasonable job of computering, which is yes. is good to see. Oh, d- d- to just wave the Victorian flag a little bit, we we also have Service Victoria. They're not too bad. They're they're catching up. I would say hmm. they they are certainly not behind, good. but they're they're trying hard to emulate some of the successes of Service New South Wales. Um,
1: yeah, so you know it's it's not impossible. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. Service New South Wales has got everything fine and dandy and perfect, but no.
0: And in fact, look, there's there's lots in Australian government systems that are actually pretty good. Like if you look at how the Americans do their tax filing, it's horrendous. Oh yes, And but that's deliberate. And we have yes, it is. Well, and we also have contacts. Another payments. whole
1: story we could tell. Yeah.
0: Yes, and banking generally, like we just send money to each other, whereas they still have these paper things. Um, the the younger listeners probably don't know what these were called. These are called checks. They're a piece of mm. paper that you scribble on with a pencil and that turns into money through some sort of arcane process. I think it involves setting fire to monks or something. I don't know. The Reserve Bank mm. does it all in the back end.
1: One thing I know that you will agree with me on this is so much comes down to the culture of an organisation. Mm. And I yes. want to compare Service New South Wales with the federal government again because the federal government had robo-debt customers the enemy, people on welfare are the enemy, ripping off the government, they are investigated, blah, 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 blah. In New South Wales, we have ads on television saying, we're the New South Wales government, we have all sorts of programs that might assist you, book your appointment with Service New South Wales to come in and we'll have a chat with you to tell you all the ways in which we can specifically give you money. Mm.
3: Right now, the New South Wales government is helping reduce your cost of living with over seventy
0: ways to save. Families like the Lows can save a little on tolls, take a bit off their next stay in the country, keep the kids active for less, and enjoy a little break without breaking the bank. <laughs> saving the Lows over three thousand five hundred dollars. Get a boost for your budget. Use the Savings Finder at the Service New South Wales website. That is. A perfect example. Yes, the purpose of a system is what it does. Um, Mm. So, an an old quote by Stafford Beer, one of the original um, pioneers of a field called cybernetics. But um, yeah, he's all about saying that the purpose of a system is what it does. It's not what you wanted it to do or what you think it should be doing. It's like no, no, its Mm. purpose is what it's actually doing. If you want it to do, if you want it to have a different purpose. Like, if if it's not fulfilling the purpose you want it to have because it's doing the wrong things, you have to change the system. You can't just keep deploying the same system over and over again, expecting different results. Unless, of course, you're the Australian federal government, because that is apparently (laughs) how our technology
1: policy works. Fabulous. And we'll expand upon that point more generally next Justin, you hinted at that at this bit in the earlier part of that first segment, mm, um, foreshadowing. When when yes, <laughs> when things aren't working properly, you stop doing the thing which doesn't work. Oh, well, you don't have
0: to. I mean, clearly, <laughs> well, clearly, but uh, generally it's perceived to be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, if if you're operating a lathe and it starts to rip your hand off, um. The general approach is that you hit the big red button that stops the lathe from spinning.
1: This, uh, this thought and these thoughts are encapsulated in a piece by you, uh, for a, a thing called the Innovation Papers, which has been published uh, just recently by innovationos.com, links on the podcast website along with links to everything else. As you know, dear listener, if you don't know that, A, that means you're new, B, welcome. What's your message here, Justin? How do you – I mean, the COVID Safe app clearly was a thing that was not working and yet they kept going and, broadly speaking, refused all advice that there were other ways of doing it or maybe not even doing it at all mm. and doing what the state governments were doing, which was just log where everyone went and they can tell us, you know, <laughs> they yeah. can assess them.
0: Well, and that's, yeah, I guess that's there's, there's a couple of messages in that piece. Um, one is that it's not everything is done with good intent uh, and you should take that into account in advance. So you should be thinking about how this could go wrong when you're building it. So we see plenty of technology systems and indeed other systems um, like technological systems, uh, human organizational systems where people, people game the system they there will be people who do not operate with good intent. So if you assume that everyone who is going to come and interact with this system has good intent, then you, for example, don't need to worry about things like encryption uh, or passwords. And famously, technology things like the phone system and you know email didn't have any of this stuff. You know encrypt we didn't encrypt any data traffic around the place. and we are now paying the price for design decisions that were made because, Look, the Swift banking system will only ever interact with known, good, trusted, solid banking people you know, that we've met personally. <laughs> same with you know the Signaling System 7 was designed for when there were three telephone companies and the, the engineers running them all knew each other and probably met in the same pub um, in Silicon Valley. Yes, and then the SS7
1: protocol, rights. which controls the uh, the cell phone system, the mobile phone system globally. It, it is a wonderful thing. And if ever you thought that looking at internet protocols and uh, their assumption of trust was horrendous and uh, kept you awake at night, go and have a look at SS7, mm. for the, the mobile system and and your brain will start oozing out the bottom of your eyes. Yes.
0: You, like many of us, will not be terribly keen on this idea of using SMS for two-factor authentication. Um, yeah, so there's, mm. there's all these examples where they were designed where we thought everyone who will be using it is good and nice and no evil person will ever come into this. Um, they don't take into account what happens if Dave comes in on Tuesday and decides to be evil. Or, um, oh, no, it's Thursday. Dave is a zombie. Um, or it's a full moon. Sharon has turned into a werewolf. That that kind that's, of- that's typical Sharon. I know. Um, that kind of thing doesn't get factored in of like, what happens if someone takes over your account? Um, what happens yeah. if someone, I don't know, has a head injury and suddenly is not themselves and behaves in a completely different way? Um, what happens if they decide that actually I'm really pissed off with senior management and I will exact my revenge, um, the so-called insider threat. So that should be factored in when you're building these systems. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and um, I mean, my engineering training, um, was, we did that. We spent a huge amount of time. I, I had one assignment we had to do, which was building some sort of ticketing gate system. Um, and nice. the test suite was larger than the code base. Like the code base for the test suite was larger than mm-hmm. the code base of the actual operating system of, of the thing that we were actually building and shipping. Yep. Did you see that? Yeah. We were testing things like what happens if it is 120 years into the future and we need to make take into account all the dates in that time, including um, Easter weekends and you know, all kinds of weird rotating <laughs> date things. You know, like time is one of the things you should never have to deal with. Writing software,
1: it's it's horrendous. Oh, um, but those those are the. Have kinds you seen the joy things- just on that? Have you seen the joy that's coming up that we've occasionally put leap seconds in because the Earth's rotation was slowing through known effects? Mm. Uh, well, just in the last few years, the Earth's rotation has actually sped up a bit, and we might have to have a reverse leap second.
0: That's going to break so much stuff. <laughs> it's going to be
1: awesome. Yes. Yeah, time yes. always
0: goes forwards. No. Um, no. Actually, it might not be too bad because we do have daylight saving time in a bunch of things. Where yeah, but that's does time go back. going
1: forward or backward in in a nice whole hour at a time. True, it doesn't go back a little bit, and or
0: it doesn't go back in a bit of a smear, um, which I don't mm. like. That I think that's one of the proposals from some of the tech companies, and I think the actual um, international society in charge of a bunch of this as well would rather that rather than putting a second all in one go. Um, mm. once every three or four years or something. How about we just kind of smear time out a bit around that and time will get a bit blurry? Like, oh yeah, dunno. Oh
1: uh, yeah. Changing yeah. to value. Let's is, see like, what happens with stuff. the GPS system when you do that.
0: Yeah, it doesn't like stuff like that. Well, and everything else that depends on the GPS system. That that tends to be the more the problem is that there are assumptions built into these software systems that are layered on top of the enabling technology. So, yes, GPS might itself deal with it fine, but the thing that uses GPS for timekeeping, which was never actually really, like, the thing that wasn't really designed for that, but it's quite useful, will just go, oh, we'll assume that it's always going to be that way. It's like, no, 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 no.
1: Interesting story. When the F-22 stealth fighter was first deployed Mm. by the U.S. Air Force, They sent a squadron of them across the Pacific Ocean, accompanied by a couple of big in-air refuelling tankers from uh, the US shore or Hawaii, whichever it was, to Guam. And in doing so, they crossed the International Dateline. Ooh, fun. And time jumped forward a whole day in an instant... (laughs) And all their navigation systems went dark. Uh, <laughs> uh, but fortunately, they Brilliant. they had their big tanker aircraft that they could follow mm. <laughs> and visibility remained adequate because they're flying nice and high. Mm. Uh, but that was a good one that had slipped through testing. They'd never flown across the dateline before. Yes.
0: Now, software is terrible. Um, and software that involves any times and dates is just worse. It's much, much it worse. Never deal with those things if you can.
1: So what things stop us from turning off the bad things? I mean, obviously, in an aircraft currently in flight, there are many reasons to not turn off the system. But what well, factors happen in organisations hmm. that prevent something? See, COVID Safe's a good example, I think, because... One big one was that the Prime Minister at the time, Scott Morrison, had had been on the telly saying that this was our ticket to freedom. Uh, everyone download the app. It's like sunscreen, apparently, which don't get me started on that yep. metaphor, which, of course, it's not. It didn't prevent anything. Um, so there was political capital. And, and, of course, there's the media, which is very much about any change of plans is a backflip, and, and indeed the previous Prime Minister... Uh, Malcolm Turnbull, who was at least broadly familiar with the concept that computers exist, Mm. understood that, yes, yes, you try things and if they don't work, you stop doing them and try something else and that's normal.
0: Well, he mostly runs a hedge fund or something, doesn't he, which is all about betting on things going wrong. Um, So, you know, you just go, oh, yeah, we'll bet on that and then when it doesn't work, then you sell. Or you buy more yeah. of it,
1: yeah, 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 and you, um, that's what you do with startup. You throw yeah. a lot of them at a wall, and some of them
0: will stick. And you, if one of them, you know, you stick at it for a while, but if it's clearly not going to be working, you stop spending money on it. Yeah, some yeah. cost fallacy gets in the way of a lot of things. You know, we've we've put too, we've invested too much in this thing to be able to let it go. Um, and that's more, well, I'd say that's more about ego and mediocre mm-hmm. um, middle managers being promoted well above their station. Um, I think that sort of sums up the last decade of
1: politics. And in an organisational sense, if you're designing a program, I mean, ideally, as you know, a project should have defined goals which can be measured, uh, and and government's are not well, very good at that. Well, again, what is the purpose of this system? <laughs> well it's to be it something to the government can announce yes.
0: yes well there we go so we if if the purpose of the system is to have announceables we're very good at that
1: yes fabulous um and and i'll link to a couple of articles where i've gone through uh for example the previous government's announcements about cyber policy which have no timelines no measurable targets etc but the colors and the quality of the paper are fabulous um but To build them in, in an organisational sense, that's quite simple. You build in from the beginning that this will be reviewed every three months and if the error rate uh, in processing these transactions for people on welfare is greater than 2% or whatever it might be, Hmm. then that's when you go back and... Look at it well, again. You, you say or it's whatever, easy. Or whatever, out, whatever the outcome is. Yeah,
0: and I agree. You say it's easy, but clearly it isn't because we never do it. Um, and the, But you, mm. you bring up one of my my points, which I do a lot in policy submissions, I, that we don't do in policy and I think we should do more. So the, the wonderful example of surveillance powers and the AFP says, oh, yeah, we'll go and ask for a whole Australian bunch of people's Peter, um, metadata and we will get access to a whole bunch of it. And, oh, whoops, we were supposed to get warrants and didn't. Or oh. we were, you know, we've accessed a whole bunch of stuff unlawfully. And, oh, we only did it, you know, 20-odd thousand times. Uh, in a things like, whoop-de-doo. Um, there was a report by the that Australian. That number
1: is funny because it's true.
0: <laughs> yes. There was a report by the Commonwealth Ombudsman uh, some years ago into, I think it was both the Australian Federal Police, I believe um, ASD also get caught up in this. Um, There was an issue with the ACT police, I think. So there there was Mm -hmm. a lovely little nexus of using essentially new powers and they overstepped themselves systemically and did it thousands and thousands of times. We don't have a thing in legislation generally that says if these powers get abused more than X number of times in a month or a year or whatever that is, whatever that metric is, then the powers will be taken away. If you drink drive, your license will be suspended for a while. You can get it back, but you're not allowed to drive for a moment until you've learned how to do it. And, you know, you've learned to shoulder the responsibility properly. A surveillance and indeed, is, in
1: some jurisdictions around the world, uh, if you do it more than twice, then you have to go to an alcohol control course, yeah, or whatever it might be. Which is yeah. a kind
0: of exponential back-off for those people who are familiar with t- um, uh, TCP/IP. um, You know, you try something and it doesn't work, and if you're getting it wrong, it tells you to go away for longer and longer periods of time, because you're clearly not learning your lesson. You need long, longer to think about it. We don't do that with powers that are granted to authorities. Generally, what happens is that we let it get worse and worse and worse until it explodes in a really big way and either embarrasses someone with sufficient power or generally kills enough rich white men, then we do something about it. I would
1: prefer that we did it earlier. And yet if you suggest going out and killing more rich white men, they they come and pay you a visit. Late at night. I know. And ask you difficult questions in a small grey room. <laughs> I, I'm merely commenting on the
0: way history seems to have uh, written things out. I mean, we know this. That, that leg- is
1: definitely what we are doing, yes. dear listener, in legislation, and-
0: <laughs> Yes, legislation is written first in blood and then in ink. Um, mm. That is that is how we have things like the, the famous Triangle Shirtwaist fire in the United States that led to emergency exits being required.
1: That we don't have time to go into today, but do read about it. It is one of the most important cases uh, in labour law: the rise of the unions in uh, unions in the United States. And I, I went down an interesting rabbit hole uh, with this the other day. But it's time for another subject change. Mm-hmm. Right, let's get uh, a lot of the updates and housekeeping out of the way. Uh, first of all, a signalling system number seven, SS7. I, I said just before that it was about the uh, the mobile phone system. In fact, it's about all of the international call system in general, not just mobiles. It was actually first developed in 1975 and uh, the older people amongst you might might even remember that that was kind of when we started to be able to dial our own international numbers rather than having to get an operator to uh, connect us to another operator in another country and and do all all that. Uh, Yeah, the whole thing's uh, a bit of a mess. Uh, now, I I did just quickly try and find the comparison between the COVID Safe app costs in Australia and the cost of the uh, the equivalent apps in Ireland and uh, Germany. Um broadly similar. Uh, you know, I, I can't find it just now, but my memory was that uh, you know it was again in the you know low numbers of millions to a couple of tens of all up to run the whole. The whole thing. One thing I did want to mention, though, uh, is that there was a tweet uh, from uh, ABC Television's Michael Rowland, which which mentioned that quote, "the app's efficacy was often called into question." And I thought, yeah, that's like saying uh, Mount Everest is often referred to as the tallest mount- mountain on Earth. I mean, it is the tallest mountain on Earth. Is this this merely mouthed inability to just state things which are pretty much established facts uh, and, and hedge around. Uh, I don't know. I have a grump about that. Anyway, um, the next episode of this podcast um, will be next week. No, well, the week after. With Dr Trent Yarwood. He's been on before. He's an infectious diseases physician. He's a bit of a geek. Uh, obviously there's the COVID to talk about still, uh, there's monkeypox. Uh, there's a whole range of things, there's that new virus in animals in China, well there's always a new virus in animals somewhere in China, has got lots of people, so of course we find them in China. Um, if you have, if you're a supporter with a trigger word or a conversation topic for Dr. Trent Yarwood... I will need to know uh, by Tuesday the 23rd of August. That's 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on that day, Tuesday the 23rd, uh, for Dr Trent. And I'm still chasing, trying to lock in a time with uh, economist Umair Hark, um, he of the doom and gloom and disco. Um, Get get your... uh, Trigger words and conversation topics in at the same time. As I've said before, if if we don't lock him in that week, we'll keep trying. Uh, and, uh, you know, he and I both want to talk to each other. It's not, not he's avoiding me. He's, it's, uh, he's on the other side of the planet. It's chaotic. So, that, that Tuesday the 23rd of August that date to, uh, to get your stuff in. Uh, you can buy Trigger Words or a Conversation Topic or various other things um, by supporting the 9pm Spring Series 2022. Uh, please go to the 9 pmediccom slash Spring 2022. You'll be taken to the crowdfunding page. All of the details are there. Uh, yes, there's only a couple of weeks of winter left and then we, we do need to get into spring. Um, but thank you, of course, to everyone who's uh, contributed to the Winter Series. That's what's made uh, these special guest episodes uh, possible. You're all listed on the website. You know who you are. I love you. I lick you. I I, I sniff you and enjoy uh, the odour and, and sensations at every point of the experience. What am I, what the fuck am I saying here? Um, go to the 9 pmediccom slash spring 2022. Please do that now. Uh, and And back to Justin. Trigger word time, Justin. Mm. Uh, Now, because I'm uh, house-sitting in Sydney, I did not bring the glass jar of transparency with me. I have the convenient glass bowl of transparency from the kitchen. I I can verify that it is indeed transparent and it is indeed a bowl. Uh, It does indeed contain little folded-up pieces of paper, each one of which, you'll have to trust me on this, uh, contains a word uh, bought by a listener... Uh, in the hope that it will trigger, hence trigger words, uh, an interesting conversation. So I'm going to draw one up there, Justin. Mm. From Miriam Mulcahy. Hi, Miriam. Clocks. Clocks. Well, I think we just went
0: through why clocks are a terrible idea and we should all be (laughs) banned. Yes. Yes, clocks are, are horrendous as soon as they come anywhere near contact with the computer. Time, as it turns out, is quite a malleable concept.
1: It is very difficult, and I think we found that during the quarantines, is that mm. at one level uh, people have, have, and and particularly for you folks down in the, the Victoria, um, days stretch out when you're you're in quarantine and um, well, you need to keep lockdown, a close eye
0: on the clock as well because you you're only allowed out for your one hour of mandated um, government sanctioned exercise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in the exercise whatever it was. yard. Yeah. What this does trigger a thought for me, there is a wonderful series called Locomotion, which was about the railways, but it wasn't about trains. Ah. So it didn't address, you know, it was not about how diesel replaced steam. It wasn't about the mallard going at 120 miles an hour or whatever it was, the steam record or whatever. Mm. It was about how the railways changed society. Mm. Standard Time was developed first in Britain to keep the railways happening because every every village, every town would just have their own clock and the local priest if it was in a church. I was hoping or, you were going
0: to talk about this one. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Federal, you know, Whoever was down at the town hall, who also put the flag up at sunrise, mm. checked when it was noon and set the clock. So, across Britain, even though it's you know a tiny little place, there was still a good few minutes difference between different towns, and and it it made catching the train hell. So standard time was introduced. It was chosen to be at Greenwich in London. There we go. That was what the navy used. So it made sense. Mm. to use that same time for the railways and time was standardised. But the other thing that it introduced was the idea that thi- that society had to be organised around when the train arrived mm. so that passengers had to be there, goods had to be there, uh, the post, letters and parcels would arrive or have to be ready for departure.
2: The new freedom to move was tempered by the order the railways demanded.
3: Our clocks are all radio controlled. That means on each station you have exactly the same time. Time to Swiss railways is the most important thing you can imagine because if you have no clocks on the right time for railways, then uh, you will miss the, the timetable.
1: Before the Industrial Revolution, before the railways, people went by the time in their vicinity, in their local town, in their local city. But the railways needed a standard time, which amounted to a sort of industrial discipline they had to impose in order to run railways, in order to run their trains, regularly, so that they were providing a service which people would want, and so on. What they did was, effectively, impose their own grid, impose their own standards, impose their own discipline. So that by 1850 in England and 1880 in the States, you had a standard railway time.
2: Railroads, because they had to operate to the minute uh, to prevent wrecks, uh, to, to make connections between railroads had to redefine time. And they did it initially by taking time and putting it up on the depot. And that became railroad time. The depot became the center center of towns and villages. It's the place where things happened. It's where news came in, where the telegraph was situated, where merchandise for the stores arrived, where newspapers came in, where virtually everything happened, where people left. You went to meet friends and greet friends, say goodbye to your lover, whatever else happened. You did it at the depot, and and you had to do it at the time the train arrived or departed, and therefore the depot clock became the central timepiece in every village and hamlet in the country.
1: And in this program, they interviewed a couple of old guys up in uh, the north of India Mm. who are old enough to remember the time before the trains.
3: Before the advent of railways, we used to have only four timings. Morning, noon time, evening time and night time. So if I say that, look here, I am coming to your house tomorrow morning, it could be anything from 8 o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock in the morning. Or if I say tomorrow evening I will have an appointment with you, it could be from 4 o'clock in the evening right up to 8 o'clock in the evening. But after the advent of the railways, this notion changed. Now if I say I'm reaching your house in the evening, well, it will be precisely 6 o'clock or 6.30 or something like that.
2: The railways reorganised time to suit their own ends, and passengers learn to accept the new rhythms of railway life.
1: And I find it interesting because I've bridged A divide that almost works the other way. Before we all had mobile communicators in our pockets, you would have to arrange to meet someone at a place at a time. Mm. I will meet you outside the big department store for shopping at three o'clock. And if the other person was not there, you waited a certain amount of time before giving up. There's no concept of, I'll be there in ten minutes. Yeah. But you also had to, coming. Through. you
0: had to plan ahead a bit as yes. well. Because because of that contingent the risk there that you had to manage. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, what if what if the bus is late? Yes. I still need to get to the shop by three o'clock. Yeah. Or they'll go away. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting. It's more fluid now. It's,
0: it is more. It's sort of some parts are more fluid, but others aren't. Yeah, it's an interesting one about the coordination problem. There, there's a there's an aspect of that which um, is, a, is a book I read recently. I, it's been on my list for ages, um, which is called Seeing Like a State, uh, which Ooh. didn't didn't deal with time, but it does deal with weights and measures, which is a similar thing. So different villages in different areas would have slightly different 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 definitions of how big a bushel is, for example. Um, and it is used, the weights and measures and like time as well, and the standardization of things is used as a method of manipulation and control. So, whoever gets to define what a bushel was, so that'd be like the local lord might change the size of a bushel and that would influence how much you got paid for your grain um, and, and various other things. But it, it became a kind of imperialist project. So, the fact that you bring, you bring up trains that are now running in India, for example, um, and the (laughs) clocks are all set based on Greenwich Mean Time, I think is a good example of how standardisation can be an imperialist project. Um, And it's something that
1: we should watch out for when we're thinking about why are we choosing this. Beijing time operates across the entirety of China, which means in some of the Western provinces, the sun sometimes only rises in winter at about 11 a.m.,
0: well, officially, it, the, the official time yes. is. However, I am led to believe that there is a an informal local time that is actually <laughs> used by the residents of that
1: particular region. And is something more useful. I will also link to, a again, another British television series. The British are very good at doing these documentaries, but do bear in mind they create a very Anglo-centric view of history and the world. Mm. But there is one called Precision, mm. which is about... Uh, uh, the seven units that there are, like length, um, um, time, mass, etc., about how over uh, the years we've we've uh, been able to measure them with more precision, and how that's affected society, and indeed weights and measures for commerce in Britain alone, uh, when they wanted to standardize, standardize them, there had been some three thousand customary units. Mm. Uh, around the country in various places. And it didn't help uh, when the length of a cubit would vary according to how large the king's arm was.
0: Yes. But again, I, I recommend um, seeing like a state to learn more about, like I learned a bit about why uh, think those measures would vary. And it's not, like we hear it now as sort of received knowledge as we modern citizens how much superior we are to the, the rural peasants oh, yes. of, of um, mid-century of your- France. Yeah, mm. um, there were good reasons. Like, it made sense for the people who lived in those areas to have measures that worked the way they did. So I, I found that really quite interesting.
1: Another book I'll throw in is uh, called The Measure of Reality by Alfred Crosby. Uh, its subtitle is Quantification and Western Society 1250 to 1600. Mm. And again, it's about the increasing accuracy of clocks and and Distance and weights and and things because once once you can measure something you must measure something ah yes yes and another
0: another theme there that you'll see is developing <laughs> across all of these things
1: mm. so thank you Miriam um, look we there are things we could gossip about for ages because Justin and I like going down rabbit holes let's do one more Jump. Sure. this one's from Peter Leverdink it is flex.
0: Flex. Is it with an X or a CKS? With an X. Ah, flex. There's, I know, weird flex, but okay. Um, that's a, I don't know if that's a current now, saying. Of course, the,
1: the, the young people, TM, uh, a flex is a kind of boast. When you, when you say, when you see someone respond to something you said with a, that's a weird flex, it means that's an odd thing to boast about. Mm. Yes, weird flex, but uh, okay, yes. There's um, electrical cable, such as the one between your kettle and the power outlet, used to be called flex because it was flexible wiring. Mm. Flex cable, Um, yeah. Oh, did you ever electrocute yourself? Or not electrocute because that actually does mean to kill yourself by electric shock. Have an electric shock. So I take it as read you did not electrocute yourself as a child, but did you give yourself an enormous electrical shock as a child?
0: No, not that I recall.
1: Oh, I did several times because at – and I know I must have been under the age of 10 when I did this from where we were living at the time. So I might have been about seven or eight years old and I was given a three-valve radio receiver uh, yes. to do things, which never had a case – now, again, um, before transistors happened to work at lower voltages, you, you would have a, a vacuum tube or valve, depending on where you were in the world, and I can't remember which way round it goes. I think tube tube is British slash Commonwealth and valve is American. Yes, I think so. Um, yeah, the same the same thing. Mm. Um, so same idea as a transistor. It's used to amplify electrical signals. Uh, the, the disappointment... Or rather, disappointment. The disadvantage is it does operate at quite high voltage. Um, uh, And also, uh, to keep these voltages stable, you would have a humongous capacitor in circuit with these things. I was waiting
0: for the capacitor story to come, yes. Capacitors (laughs) are very dangerous and they will bite you.
1: They will. Uh, it means that even though you have turned off the device and mm. unplugged it from the 240 volts or mm. 110 volts if you're American or whatever in the world, um, and the, the valve slash tubes are no longer glowing red with their heating elements, these can- capacitors still have a lot of They have a lot electrons. of angry pixies in them, yes. Pixie magic pixies in them, and when you brush your hand against the wiring, it goes bang with yeah. a and the angry pixies fly jolt. out and bite you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I, I, I don't know. Where I mean, I it, never, it this. never gets
0: fun. It, no, it's never a it's, fun idea. I, I never did that to myself. Certainly not deliberately. I have accidentally um, discharged some capacitors. I've, I mean, I've done it deliberately on a bunch of things because I know that you need to do that before you play around with stuff that. Um, has this sort of thing that uses them? Yeah. Yes, we, we had to pass various lab safety things um, in my undergrad uh, doing before we were allowed to go and play with the the more exciting forms of electrical power. But uh-huh. uh, yes, it was sort of drilled into us. So, yeah, yeah. This stuff, this stuff will kill you. Basically, anything above twelve volts is extremely dangerous.
1: Um, it all depends on the amps. You know, you know, if the voltage is very high. Yes.
0: The amps can um, be quite low and it not really bother you, which is why Van de Graaff generators are really fun. They're the big things that you- Or Tesla coil. Or it- Well, it Van de Graaff generator- Van de Graaffs are the fun. Van- They're the ones that you spin out. They've got a big, um, oh, what is it? It's like a big felt reel that goes around inside a glass tube and you spin the handle on it and then it- That's right. They
1: have a metal dome on top.
0: Yeah, and you get a There's often a like an, a probe or something which you can spark next
1: to it and you get a little spark, jumps across the gap. Um, but you can touch it with your hand. Yeah, see, Tesla coils are, are fun because that's that's if you want a shitload more volts. I mean, up in up in the millions. Many, yes, yes, and you so can use when- them to play the Doctor Who theme. Oh yes, yes. Uh, there's another thing to link to in the <laughs> video. I know the video. Yeah, it, 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 uh, words. What even are they? Yes. Um, dear listener, you can rearrange all the words in that sentence to <laughs> to, to create <laughs> meaning for yourself. When I was at school, there was a, another guy and I, and he and I were the troublemaking lads in the physics class. Uh, so we built a Tesla coil, oh, and cool. and we just. Kept winding around the copper wiring um, because you know we were teenage boys and had nothing else to do. So yeah. we we created an enormously powerful Tesla coil, uh, uh, named after Nikola Tesla. Look it up, you know all of that. Um, so we found that if we put electrodes either side of a classroom door, that was fine. But if someone walked through the door, the moisture on their skin would sufficiently lower the resistance so that it would create this lovely sparkly sheet of blue and purple electrical activity that raced across their body. That would be fun to watch. Harmlessly, I mm. should point out, apart from the psychological effect of suddenly looking like you'll be <laughs> zapped. How often did you walk through this doorway, still? Well, I no no, it wasn't for us. It was oh. for teachers. Clearly. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. Um, so we had to take it apart. Um Sometime later we calculated that we'd got so carried away with, with wiring this thing up that it probably produced low-grade x-rays of dubious safety.
0: <laughs> yes, and that's definitely what you want to be uh, bombarding your, your teaching staff with,
1: yeah. or indeed students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, so we we were made to sit not at the front where the teacher could keep an eye on us, but sit at the back where we wouldn't disrupt. Ah, we were pointing out that it, while he was teaching Newton, Newtonian mechanics, that we were pointing out that that it broke down in certain cases, and we really needed to use some of Einstein's equations. And yes, why I was he teaching this put inaccurate you back the science class as well? Yes, <laughs> thank you, Peter you. <laughs> Justin, do you use Instagram? I do not. Okay. Uh, do I, you use Facebook? I do not.
0: I used to use Instagram. Um,
1: Same here. Briefly,
0: I well, I, I say I used to use it. I didn't use it. Um, Blue Cow used to use it, which was a, which is a soft toy that my son um, gave to me to accompany me on my many overseas trips. Um, when he was very young,
1: it was incredibly I was cute. About to say, how old was he at the time? He, he was quite back. young. He was twenty-seven. <laughs> yes, he was twenty-seven. Yes, that's right.
0: No, he was. He was. Um, he was quite young. Um, and uh, I was going away, and he said, "Oh, Daddy, I'm concerned. I think you should take a toy to keep you company." So, of course, that was adorable, and I did. And um, Blue Cow got to go and sit in the cockpit of one of the aeroplanes. Um, you know, got photos of them being taken up up there by the hostie. I didn't get to go. What? Yeah. The hostie took the phone, went up. There. I, was not, I was a bit concerned about hostie. that as well. So listen, like, oh.
1: to, listen to that, dear listener. Yeah, the man is showing I'm his showing age. Showing my age now. He means I know. Flight, attendant, flight attendant, possibly yes. steward. Steward, yes.
0: The flight attendant. hostie. Hostie, I know.
1: Very the old. airline fashion. hostess. Yes.
0: That's very old-fashioned. No, the, uh, the uh, flight attendant um, <laughs> took the phone up, and it, she was very nice about it. Um, and, yeah, took photos. But, yes, I didn't get to go to the cockpit. Of course not. I'm a security risk. A blue cow that you've just taken from a passenger with no you know, no screening at all. Yeah, absolutely Chuck that into the cockpit.
1: <laughs> I used to use Instagram until recently. Well, then I fell out of the habit of, of posting photos. For a while there at the end, I did similar things with using Instagram. I would only post photographs which were either, A, a photograph from my seat through the window of a departing aircraft mm. and I'd just call it the the view from 29A or whatever it might be because I like sitting down the back or on landing I would have that on multiple shots and and just touchdown I'd get a photograph of the moment of touchdown mm. wherever I was arriving and they were then the only photographs of there for ages uh, there was another one I did though, where getting the train from the Blue Mountains down uh, to the city, and as I crossed the bridge over the Nepean River at penrith i would I would note that I was crossing the Nepean, yes, and I have a couple hundred photographs of the same crossing of the river in different weather conditions and times of day and things. Hmm. But I don't now uh, use Instagram because uh, it started uh, sharing data across via its parent company, Meta, with Facebook and blah, 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 and I dropped Facebook some years ago. But other people, and I did notice this, have been upset, of course, with Instagram because less and less do you see, by default, all of the pictures that your friends are posting, Mm. which was presumably why you went there in the first place, and more and more... Things which te- algorithm is suggesting you might be interested in, on the vague notion that other people found it interesting, therefore you will. Uh, and so you'll get lots of photographs of people riding skateboards or something because. Well, the other people of- who find it interesting uh, advertisers. Um, yes. And they definitely that's the want you to
0: look at these things.
1: Yes. And look, and in a commercial operation, I'm fine with seeing ads. For something that I'm not paying for, maybe you know, if I'm if, if I'm watching a movie on some streaming service that I'm not paying for, mm. then the people who made the movie should, well, I am not upset if they arrange to get some sort something in return for that.
0: You well, know, advertising is one way of doing it, yes. And I, yeah. you know, when it's not overly obnoxious, it can be it can be all right. Um, sometimes it's quite useful to learn about products and or services that you may enjoy. (laughs) That's Um, right. But, you know, some ads are good. Some ads are fun and interesting. Most of them are garbage.
1: And Instagram, uh, they've noticed that uh, people are spending less time looking at Instagram because they're spending more time looking at TikTok, Mm. for example. And they go, well, what is TikTok? Oh, TikTok is short videos. Well, if we had... Short videos on Instagram, maybe they will stay here as well, not realising that that's not why people were on Instagram and they find it anyway. They could build
0: one of them and call it, I don't know something, maybe vine would be something they could name it. <laughs> Some listeners will notice that they did that. There was a thing called
1: Vine, they bought it, and then they killed it. Anyway, with more of these changes recently, and you're seeing by default more things from people you don't follow on Instagram, mm. you know, I mean, this is the thing. If I wanted to watch skateboarders, you know, from Tajikistan, I would happily click on skateboarders from Tajikistan and hit follow. Mm. I mean, that's that's how it works. Um and I have nothing against that. I might quite enjoy Anyway, I chose to follow who I follow because that's what I want to see. I don't want to see things that I didn't choose to see, or maybe occasionally, maybe a little bit. Mm. Instagram users have been complaining about this. So the other day, the 26th of July, in fact, Adam Masseri, who's head of Instagram, took to Twitter, as that appalling cliche goes, and said this for two and a half minutes.
2: There's a lot going on on Instagram right now. We're experimenting with a number of different changes to the app. And so we're hearing a lot of concerns from all of you. So I wanted to take a few moments and clarify a few things. One is if you're seeing a new full screen version of a feed or you're hearing about it, know that that is a test. It's a test to a few percentage of people out there. And the idea is that a more full screen experience, not only for videos, but for photos, might be a more fun, engaging experience. But I also want to be clear, it's not yet good. And we're gonna have to get it to a good place if we're gonna ship it to the rest of the Instagram community. The second thing I'm hearing a lot of concerns about right now are photos and how we're shifting to video. Now, I wanna be clear. We're gonna to continue to support photos. It's part of our heritage. You know, I love photos. I know a lot of you out there love photos too. That said, I need to be honest. I do believe that more and more of Instagram is going to become video over time. We see this even if we change nothing. We see this even if you just look at chronological feed. If you look at what people share on Instagram, that's shifting more and more to videos over time. If you look at what people like and consume and view on Instagram, that's also shifting more and more to video over time, even when we stop changing anything. So we're going to have to lean into that shift. while continuing to support photos. The third thing I wanna talk about is recommendations. Recommendations are posts in your feed from accounts that you do not follow. The idea is to help you discover new and interesting things on Instagram that you might not know even exist. Now, if you're seeing things in your feed that are recommendations that you're not interested in, that means that we're doing a bad job ranking and we need to improve. And you can X out a recommendation. You can even snooze all recommendations for up to a month or go to your following feed. But we're going to continue to try and get better at recommendations because we think it's one of the most effective and important ways to help creators reach more people. We want to do our best by creators, particularly small creators, and we see recommendations as one of the best ways to help them reach a new audience and grow their following. Now this is a lot of change all at once, but know that a number of things about Instagram are going to stay the same. We're going to stay committed to creators more broadly. We're going to stay committed to supporting photos. We're going to stay in a place where we try and put your friend's content at the top of feed and the front of stories whenever possible. But we're also going to need to evolve because the world is changing quickly and we're going to have to change along with it. So please let me know what you think down in the comments and know that I'm going to continue to be here explaining there are changes as we come up with them, the reasoning behind them, and give you the latest updates about what's going on on Instagram. I'll see you
1: soon. Peace. Peace. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Adam. That's it, the most embarrassing frame at the end of that, which I'll single out and put on the, the website, of a, a a middle-aged man in a yellow sweatshirt doing is, a cheesy grin and peace. It is particularly excellent, isn't it? <laughs> it, is, it, is. it is. It is appalling things. Things I liked in that, um, I, I did notice that many people in the replies were saying, oh, thanks for telling us we can snooze all recommendations for a month. That's useful to know. Mm. <laughs> we could turn this off. And putting your friend's stuff at the top of the feed wherever possible. Surely it's always possible. Well. Because you just it, do it. Possi- well, you could, I know. But, the, you know, the realm of
0: possibility is framed by what our advertisers will let us do. And you know, no, what the if- creators want, Justin. Uh, what well, the creators of. It's about the ad- supporting the creators. The creators of advertising budgets, yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now, a video
3: about a robot presented by a robot. Researchers at Rice University in Texas have repurposed a body of a dead spider as a mechanical gripper, unsettling the internet. As Daniel Preston, an assistant professor of mechanical engineering at Rice University, was setting up his new lab, a lifeless spider lying in the corner caught his and graduate student Yap's attention. As spiders die, their legs retract, the two wondered why that was the case. A quick search showed that spiders use hydraulics to move their limbs unlike humans and other mammals, who have antagonistic muscle pairs, like biceps and triceps. The process of hacking the spider’s hydraulic process turned out to be relatively simple. A gush of air through a needle attached to the spider’s prosoma or internal valves activated its legs. The study, published by Advanced Science, experimented with the carcasses of wolf spiders to carry out tasks such as lifting other spiders or manipulating a circuit board. The scientists say that using biotic material as mechanical components marks the first step in an area they dubbed necrobotics.
1: What's even creepier than the idea of a a pneumatic robot made of dead spiders? is the synthetic AI newscaster who presented that video. I do recommend, dear listener, that you click through and and look at the video. That young bearded gentleman presenting the video does not exist. That That is not a human.
3: Well, they're not
0: a human, but they do exist.
1: <sighs> That's true. That's, oh. <laughs> Without going down that wonderful <laughs> well, they, philosophical rabbit hole, they exist Thank in the same Justin. sort of way that Thor exists. You
0: know, I'm, I'm a multi-theist.
1: I think Thor absolutely exists. Um, yes, I mean, if if you think it, therefore it is. In some
0: sense, it's, it's yes. sort
1: of meta-day, it meta-cartesian philosophy. A little bit, sort of,
0: yeah. Um, you know, rule thirty-four applies.
1: No, that's about pornography.
0: Well, it's important that we combine Rule Thirty Four with um, necromancies um, and also dead spiders uh, with the image generation that is possible from Doll E. I think that could uh, lead to some exciting results. Well,
1: there's the uh, there's the metal image for the front of the podcast. People, lovely, excellent quote. Um, before we discuss uh, things such as other uses for dead animals or indeed other things we could make robots out of looking at the, the synthetic chap in that video. Cause it, it's almost on the, un, the other side of the uncanny Valley. He, he does, when you look at it, look quite human, but there's, there's something a little off, but mm. for me, even as a professional broadcast producer, my first reaction was he's not a very good presenter. Mm. Like, I thought, oh, I got the emphasis a bit wrong there. He's just reading from a yeah. You know, he's he just sounds like he's reading from a script. He's not very good. But then I noticed, you know, that odd tick of the eye. What's the and then I've, you know, got around to reading the caption and realizing this was this was a totally synthetic human mm. um, or image of a human.
0: Yeah, Um, the downside for this sort of tech is that, like, for a lot of things, there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of news reading and a lot of, you know, a lot of news, quite frankly, is pretty mechanical and formulaic and probably doesn't mm -hmm. actually need to exist. But we have more of it because it's easy to do. If we make it easier to do this kind of stuff, I reckon we'll end up with a lot more of this kind of stuff.
1: I used to do a guest lecture at the journalism school at uh, University of Technology, Sydney talking about this exact thing, mm. um, computer-written news stories. Mm. And not so much here in Australia, but in the United States, it's actually quite common, a lot of college sports results mm. and real estate spot reports because this this denigrates it a bit. But you know how people say in, in fiction there's only like seven stories? There's the hero's journey, there's the blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. You write about a dozen templates for a sporting match. Yep. Home team did very poorly in the first half with with five wobbles being scored. Best players there were Smith and Jones, but they rallied in the second half and roared home to a 6-2 victory, whatever, plug in some stats. Yep. On commentary. Yeah. So if you have the stats, you can match it to a story, you can do it out, and, and that That is a thing that is already happening. Same with um, real estate weekend reports. There were 250 homes in in Fatback City uh, on sale this Saturday. Prices were down quite a bit, 7% in some places. Mm. Um, Top selling house was $1.2 million in in Fatback Heights uh, for a a four-bedroom luxury home, um, et, et cetera. This is already happening. We get we get that in the um the weather forecast like i mean the app, the ball map
0: um the bureau of meteorology in Australia the yeah. app there when it talks about uh, when it tries to create more human language than just the the bare figures you know yeah. wh- where is the wind going and is is is, is it gusty or not um yeah. what is scattered showers um mm-hmm. those all have had specific meanings um within meteorology as well so yeah that's that's just plugged in that's all programmed
1: Yep, and then you put in, um, you know, look up your thesaurus, put in a few variations, yep. uh, you know, throw in an occasional better take your brolly to work today Yep. if the rain's coming in the afternoon, you know, watch out on those slippery streets and, you know, vary them around a bit. Hmm. This allows, I think, that a lot of this routine reporting can happen a lot more cheaply and for things like really hyper-local sports, it can be produced like almost for nothing and provide something that would not have been possible before. Yeah, possibly.
0: Um,
1: but then, I mean, that's you still
0: need to do the data collection and it's that raw yes. input, I think. is. But now if you've got, uh, if that frees up resources to actually go and uh, put into those places that are currently neglected, that would be great. Unfortunately, uh, my knowledge well, of history tells me that generally that's not <laughs> what
1: happens. I mean, what happens at the moment? Um, and I work with people who used to do that. The, the sports statistician—they mm. sit there with with during the match with a keyboard where all the keys are being assigned to certain things at a certain player, and they're they're encoding the game as it goes along. Mm. That here was a pass, here was a pass. So you can you can you can say that this player had possession for this many seconds. It's all data driven. Now we're getting to the point where you can just point the video cameras at the match and and the computer can work out what's going on. It can track which player is which. It can... Yeah. And in that case, it's like, well, you know,
0: why does this job exist in the first place? Um, you know, what is it Peter Drucker said, you know, um, more efficiently doing something that shouldn't be done at all is, is not efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, is is this a job that is actually necessary? It's like, you know, in some cases, possibly. So I I think certainly the gambling companies would be very very keen for this to continue. Um, but yeah, oh, great. Absolutely. Now we can automate. I I believe in automation. Um, removing toil from people's lives so that we don't have mm. to, for example, slave in the hot sun for hours every day just to be able to survive. Um, you know, on on subsistence eating. Hmm. Um, we we can have more leisure time. Unfortunately. That promise hasn't actually come to bear. No, we've, like, we've
1: done the opposite. We've done the
0: opposite. It, it's actually, you know, the, the, and there is—I forget where the story came from, but it's essentially the idea of labour-saving devices um, for women in the fifties. Uh, it's like, hey, we'll we, we'll give you a washing machine. It's now easier to wash clothing. Therefore, you won't. Ha- it it will give you more leisure time. So, you no, know, what happened was. People were the demand went up, so a dusty house was no longer available because cleaning it was made more easy. So, well, you've got a vacuum, so now you have to vacuum more.
1: That's right, and and the husband would be expected to have a clean and pressed shirt every day. Yeah, not maybe wearing the same shirt on Thursday that he'd worn on Monday because he hadn't spilled coffee on it. Yeah, it's aired out; it'll be fine. Yes. So, yes, the amount of work um, expands to fit the capability of the tools that we've created to do the work. (sighs) What else can we use dead animals for? We could make spiders into robots, little gripping arms for some reason. Well, I think that's only the beginning.
0: Clearly, we need to be replacing all metallic parts with um, organic materials. Um, I I won't rest until every robot um, that comes within Kui, within my visual range, looks like something uh, designed by H.R. Giger. Um, I
1: think the Alien
0: franchise is um, definitely where society is headed.
1: (sighs) The flip side of this is other things we could make into robots, and I'll end this by just saying... um, I have linked to a video which includes, among other things, the dead cat quadcopter uh, a few years back, 2016, in fact. Bart Jansen's cat was hit by a car, and he asked his friend, who's an engineer, could he turn this cat into a drone? And I'm sure you've seen this video. <laughs> I think I'm sure it's- I have. This does remind me of
0: like bad taxidermy. Um, I can't remember that. There's, there's horrendous <laughs> examples of taxidermy
1: that's just... Just not quite right. Um, well, in this case, it is, it is a lovely cat mm. with its four <laughs> arms outstretched cruciform and at the end of each arm a rotor blade. Of course. And, and it's got a camera looking out through its eyes, through its open mouth, I think. I'm not mm. sure. Anyway, have a look at that. Um, uh, his, his idea was that the cat was in fact called Orville after Orville Wright of the Wright brothers who cre- created the first – Successful uh, powered aircraft, etc. He's also created a drone out of an ostrich to create right. a flying ostrich. Oh, uh, he and uh, converted a small fish tank sized pet shark into a jet aircraft well, well, we, by we're fitting clearly the flying, shark I mean, with wings.
0: Sh- did, did he give it a laser though? Flying laser I sharks are what
1: we need. I mean, clearly. Uh, and made a submarine out of a badger.
0: I don't know about a badger submarine. That doesn't, you know, we all live in a badger
1: submarine. Actually, that's... that's Scans, at least. Scans. That
0: works. Yeah, Ah. badger is not the first thing I would have thought of to to make into a submarine.
1: Maybe a python. I, I think this is driven more from which particular dead animals does he currently have available. True. Rather than coming up with the concept and then going out and... Oh, see, he's just not taking his 100. art seriously. But to finish with, Justin, it's a very special occasion this week. It is. This weekend is the 110th birthday of global warming. Hooray! Hooray! The most famous uh, early mention of global warming in the public press was from the Rodney and Otomatea Times from New Zealand on the 14th of August 1912 under under the column Science Notes and News, which said, coal consumption affecting climate. It reads, and it's just one paragraph, it says, the furnaces of the world are now burning about two billion tonnes of coal a year. When this is burned, uniting with oxygen, it adds about 7 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere yearly. This tends to make the air a more effective blanket for the Earth and to raise its temperature. The effect may be considerable in a few centuries. Well, it turns out few means one. One, (laughs) yes. Yes. So happy birthday. Happy birthday, Global Global warming and coal. Yay. Anything of yours we need to plug before we go, Justin? Uh,
0: I guess uh, So, if you want to hear more regular musings from me, I actually have a newsletter. Um, we at Pivot9 put out a weekly newsletter.
1: <laughs> I appreciate what you say and may I subscribe to your newsletter? Yes,
0: you may. Uh, as it turns <laughs> out, I do have a newsletter. Um, I've rebooted the Pivot9 newsletter for the last, I think, six weeks it's been running. So there's a weekly newsletter. You can sign up at pivot9.com slash newsletter and uh, get a quick bite of mostly enterprise tech news, um, information security, and a weekly tip.
1: I have been reading it. There is some wonderful niche snark in the latest one. I'll let you find that for yourself, dear listener. And Justin Warren, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. That's all the edict for now. Please pledge your support to the current crowdfunding campaign at the9pmedict.com spring 2022. The next episode uh, will be with Dr Trent Yarwood. Get your input in for that by Tuesday, the 23rd of August. Until then, I'm still Gary and wash your hands.
0: The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.